Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. This is Volume 6, Issue 284, Destiny. You can play along with Volume 6. The entire schedule, up to and including Issue 300, can be found on the Cane and Rinse website. But if you would like to follow along with us and maybe play along with us, the next five issues are going to cover Double Dragon Neon, Double Dragon 2, Wander of the Dragons, and Double Dragon 4. That's all one episode. Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat 2, Mortal Kombat 3, and Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3. That's another one episode. Blade Runner. The Room Trilogy, and Soma. You can also head to CanaanRinse.com for articles, features, reviews, and links to our forum, Facebook page, and our YouTube channel. If you think that the many, many hours that we put into this show are something that you would like to contribute to, you can do so in a number of ways. Uh, we do have a Patreon. That is patreon.com slash CanaanRinse. If we do reach our target of $3,000 per month by mid-November, so that's coming up, uh, we will be doubling the number of Cane and Rinse podcasts that we produce each year uh, from 50 to 100. That is a lot of shows. Uh, so if you would like to uh, make that happen, again, that's patreon.com slash Cane and Rinse. We also do have a store, which is at shop.spreadshirt.co.uk slash Cane and Rinse. We have some lovely t-shirts, bags for both the main Cane and Rinse show and Sound of Play. Speaking of Sound of Play, uh, that is our video games music podcast, and you can uh, subscribe to that feed as well. You can review, rate, and subscribe to both of them, in fact, on anything that you can get podcasts on. iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn, anything you like. Anyway, joining me, Leah Haydu, in issue 284 are Carl Moon. Hey. <laughs> CJ Black. That wizard came from Game of Thrones. <laughs> and Patty Smith. A million deaths are not enough for Jay Taylor. Our wonderful, wonderful guests for this week. <laughs> so, Destiny is a really big game, and we have a ton to say about it. Starting with the fact that it was developed by Bungie, who you may know best as uh, Them What Did the Halo series, uh, also published by Activision. It was directed by James McQuillan and written by a number of people, uh, sort of Joseph Staten, uh, Clay Carmouche uh, wrote The Taking King, um, but there it is a, a, a bit of a group effort there, uh, as well as the composers Marty O'Donnell, Michael Salvatore, and somewhat bizarrely, Paul McCartney. Yes, that Paul McCartney. Um, so they, there were uh, a lot of people involved in both writing and composing. Uh, this is a very expensive game to make. Uh, it basically is an MMO, and it... Uh, has the cost associated with a really good one. $500 million over a 10-year deal with Activision. So, uh, yeah, they, they staked a lot on this. The release was a bit staggered. Uh, there was a beta, which you could uh, get into for two hours to get a little taste of what was, what was to come. Uh, and that was in July of uh, 2014. The main release was in September of 2014, September 9th. And then there were four expansions. There is The Dark Below, which came in December of 2014. House of Wolves, May of 2015. The Taken King, September of 2015. And Rise of Iron, the most most recent, a full year later on September 20th of 2016. We'll talk about those uh, a bit more in detail in a bit. So 
to talk a little bit about um, what the deal is with Destiny, if you will. Uh, Destiny is a first-person shooter, a la Halo, uh, which Bungie had previously been responsible for. You are playing as a guardian. You are uh, returned to life for the express purpose of making the galaxy safe for the good guys. It is a very simple story in that vein, but of course, as you're going to hear, there is quite a bit more to it than that. To talk a bit about the sales, it's a little bit tough to pin down an exact number because this was released amongst a number of platforms, uh, and in fact, amongst uh, more than one generation of consoles. Xbox 360 and Xbox One each got a version, as did PS3 and PS4. By far, the most units were sold on PS4, with 5.67 million units but all told, it was somewhere around 13 million units. Um, ratings were fairly positive. A 76 from Metacritic and a 77 from Game Ranking, 7 out of 10 from Eurogamer, and a 35 out of 40 from Famitsu. So, uh, now that we know a little bit about what we're going to be talking about, even if uh, ever so briefly, I'd like to hear a little bit about our particular histories with it. Uh, what class did we play? What platform did we play on? So let's start with Carl. Day one, as you'd probably expect. It, it was kind of a strange thing because I, I, I used to play Halo with a good group of people. So it was all a case of coming together that we were all going to buy this day one and try and, and, and jump into this experience together as, as a team, as has been advertised. Uh, multiple times across the the magazines, bus stations galore all around here and across the television, so it, it was absolutely a huge day one deal for me. Awesome! What uh, what classes did you particularly play on, or was it just a, a, all of them kind of? Ultimately, it would end up being all three, but I was. Day one warlock uh, running the Sunsinger class because everyone loves a, a revive uh, when this when Sunsinger warlocks represent. So uh, let's go over to CJ. How about you? I was a, a big fan of the, the Halo series as well, but in particular, I was excited initially by the momentum built within the writing of Joseph Staten. Joseph was someone that I genuinely, genuinely admired. I took the week off work to play it. Launch day, I'd ordered a package with a free pair of headphones from like a, a an online supermarket. I was looking out for the postman on the day. I saw him wander past the window with a chunky package around that size. No door buzzer. So I was sort of like grabbing PJ bottoms and sort of uh, putting on <laughs> slippers. And I'm like... Is that, is, that, is that for me? And he was, and they, he turned around and kind of looked at the package, and it was so cheeky monkey and his agenda. Give me my shooty bang. I went with warlock, which seems to be the thing. I haven't got a thing for duster coats, but I, I went for warlock. Uh, went human. I dressed my mop it up like me again, like Carl uh, Sunslinger was my favourite, but ma- but mainly for that sort of life slap that it had. Yeah. Where you look like you were running out of energy. You could just literally walk up to an alien and go like whoop, whoop, across its face. And then it was like, I'm running away. <laughs> it just seemed like the, the cheekiest sort of little dance. <laughs> uh, and I enjoyed that. The melee attacks are wonderful in this game. That, that level of panic turning into sort of a leg, level of glee <laughs> as I was sort of running away. Patty, were you day one? <laughs> I'm not a Halo person. I never had a 360. I'm unfortunately a Sony pony. So when Bungie announced they were making a game about men in armor shooting other men in space, (laughs) I laughed. I was that guy and I'm really sorry about that. And then over sort of the next few E3s and trade shows when kind of games were sort of game was shown off, it's like, actually, that looks like it might be a good good laugh. And I remember, I think it was during the Sony E3 show of 2014 where they were like, there's an alpha starting to like in a week 
join up now if you want. I was like, ah, that sounds like a, a laugh, doesn't it? You know, what have I got to lose? And yeah, pretty much fell in love. Um, I picked Hunter, which is the <laughs> correct choice. Uh, I also made uh, an Exo. Uh, I made it as orange as possible, as is my hair, because it just felt like the right choice. Uh, and going through to the main game, uh, I actually didn't touch the the bigger open beta. I, I left that alone uh, and decided just to wait to play the game itself. I, I did get it day one and basically made the same character uh, from my alpha time. And uh, yeah, kind of experimented with the different classes. I, I used them all over time. Gunslinger, Blade Dancer, and eventually Night Stalker. Uh, but I've pretty much been Hunter since day one, and I've never really been tempted to dabble. So I have a lot of copies of Destiny. I I did not get involved. I didn't think I was going to be into Destiny. I did not get involved with the uh, the alpha or the beta. I just kind of, I, I knew that it was going on, and I knew that I had some friends playing it. But at the time, I was playing a lot of co-op with uh, Giles Thomas, who was initially supposed to be on this show, but uh, had to uh, had to call out. I, we were playing a lot of other co-op games at the time, and uh, it just kind of happened that we both uh, decided that we were going to try out Destiny. And uh, that kind of turned into being our co-op game of choice for quite a few months. Uh, We started on the Xbox 360 as neither of us had upgraded to an Xbox One yet and played most of our time on that 360. Then when we both upgraded to the Xbox One, we migrated our characters and played uh, some more there. I also did not have a PS4 at the time that I started playing Destiny, but got one in the interim. And when I did, they actually gave me a copy of Destiny with my PS4. So I currently own three copies of uh, base Destiny. Uh, I have kept both of them actually uh, updated with the um, expansions. Gosh, I have a lot of Destiny. But the uh, Destiny that I played on my Microsoft platforms, I primarily played a Warlock. What I'd like to do is kind of uh, talk about a little bit about the differences between the classes. There's not much of a difference between the races, um, but preferred classes, um, differences between the weapons and armor, that's uh, that's where we're going to go from here, I believe. It's worth noting that at the beginning of the, uh, of, of the Destiny tenure, I suppose you'd say, uh, each of these three main classes had two subclasses, and then later on each uh, picked up a third subclass. So you could kind of look at it if you or if you're used to kind of a D&D uh, style of, of gameplay, you could kind of look at it as the hunter is roughly equivalent to a rogue, the warlock is roughly equivalent to a mage, and the titan is a warrior or a tank type. Now, you did not have to be that by any stretch of the imagination, but mm. as I mentioned, I it is my personal belief that this is basically an MMO anyway, so it kind of helps people to understand, particularly once you get into larger groups or particularly raids, that these are kind of the roles that you would generally fall into. Now, it's definitely not always going to be the case, but uh, it's a, a, an easy touchstone, I believe. I like as well that the way the classes progressed for each of the um, each of the things. So, you, say for the hunter, you start with the gunslinger, which is its superpower was shoot the enemy really good. Uh, the warlock with the voidwalker, its first power was throw a big ball of like pain at the enemy. The first one was always quite simple. And then the second class that you unlock when you hit level, was it 14 or something like that? Um, so the hunter was blade dancer. It's like, right, well, you can take this gun character and instead let's do some melee stuff or some invisibility stuff. Or with the warlock, it turns you into a, a, a cleric to, to go with the D&D metaphor. Um, or for a titan, you know, it, it turns you into a, a proper tank, you know, a big bastion of 
shoot everything at me, please. Um, it, it lets you expand the roles you've been given at the start, but still kind of maintain mm-hmm. that core of what makes them different. I like that. It, it made your party more varied. Uh, it wasn't just three boys with shotguns. So the, there was a sense of balance there. I don't necessarily think it was thoroughly successful because the guns overruled your powers when it came to combating the enemies mm. um, and, and defeating certain elemental type mm. enemies. You wouldn't you wouldn't mm. counter them with a specific element because you just utilize a gun, which is why when I was running raids, I felt like a, a defender class titan with a uh, the arc protective bubble didn't so much matter. It was just the fact that it would protect from attacks. But, uh, what Carl was saying about mm. uh, the uh, the guns. The guns, the guns, the guns. Uh, so let's talk about the guns a little bit because I think that that's, uh, that's something that we want to definitely spend some time on. Um, so basic guns, uh, you have a primary weapon, you have a secondary weapon, and you have a heavy weapon. Galahorn. And you can mix and match as you... Uh, yeah, you have a primary weapon, you have a secondary <laughs> weapon, and you have a Galarhorn. Um, correct answer. So what do you think would be a, uh, a great way to describe how your combinations of weapons are intended to kind of contradict what the enemy is doing? By default, weapons could offer a fourth element, if you like, which was just kinetic mm. which was simple damage to, to put it another way or you could have mm. elemental non-elemental yes eff- effect to them so you would have solar arc or void and the idea is you would use those weapons against certain kinds of enemies as with the uh supers you just wouldn't change your weapons because there were certainly a, a set of weapons that you wouldn't lose the bonuses that that weapon would offer over changing the effects Ch- charge beam rifles i can't remember what they're called off the top um, of fusion, rifles, fusion, rifles. fusion rifles that's the one i'm thinking of uh, <laughs> sniper rifles shotguns and it was great as you were leveling up from the base game changing between all these different kinds of weapons until the vault of glass was kind enough to drop fit bring it and then you never really needed another primary weapon <laughs> I think that for me, uh, it was pretty easy to fall into a, this is the type of weapon I like, so maybe you don't look as hard at other weapons, even if they are good. Like, I I almost always carried a hand cannon, a sniper rifle, and a rocket launcher, and yeah. other things could drop, and maybe if they were good enough, I'd, I'd consider it, but it, it didn't happen very often. Now, did you all find that to be the case, or were you more willing to switch between different types of weapons in those slots? Almost exclusively, yeah, the same. Uh, I ran almost the same as you. I always had a hand <laughs> cannon. Uh, I always had a sniper rifle. My heavy weapon I'd always have as the, the heavy machine gun. I fell in love with the Mida multi-tool. Ah, yes. Uh, I like the accuracy mixed with that sort of cheeky tickle of kinetic where it's just like, it's literally poking them but killing them. Uh, and there was sort of a satisfying sort of whoop, whoop, whoop when it was knocking them back. That lasted a long time for me until Stormcaller kicked in. There was the Zalo Supercell, the electric pulse rifle, which sort of seemed to belt out a little chain lightning when enemies got close together. Mm-hmm. And I had sort of, as a warlock, I had sort of these amazing sort of disco gauntlets that had electric going on around them. It was, it was really a theme for for electricity, also dancing. Um so yeah, that's that's the only point really where they where the, the Mida kind of got pulled out of the, the mix, but that was really because of the, the sort of build that I'd I'd put together. I was always rocket launchers and sniper rifles. It's important to mention that in, in regards to the way that the weapons worked in the game, there was a tier class system, standard MMO fair, uh, mm-hmm. where you'd run through rare, ultra rare 
legendary exotic. For anybody familiar with uh, with World of Warcraft, yes, the uh, the colors did in yes. fact remain the same. <laughs> exactly the same. And you could only ever carry one exotic weapon, which uh, certainly changed the structure of what kinds of weapons I would hold. My preference was to not hold a sniper rifle. I preferred the shotguns, um, oh. especially the one that would drop from Vault of Glass, which was absolutely outstanding, particularly in PvP. I would have an exotic in there in in the shape of Icebreaker, the yes. auto-regenerating ammo sniper rifle. Well, the first exotic I think I dropped, and certainly an essential exotic in year one of, of Destiny. And that that's what I would be carrying instead of a shotgun for yeah. things such as strikes um, and raids. The Icebreaker was absolutely key for me. Uh, became a, a definite favourite without pulling Galahorn because I had Fatebringer as well as uh, the scout rifle that would drop uh, Vision of Com- Vision of Confluence? I can't remember what it was called. So it meant that I could run a legendary primary and, and run Icebreaker as a, an exotic secondary weapon. Uh, so that, that was certainly my build for certainly the base game and two DLCs. Yeah. I think it's important as well, not just with the, the mixture of classes, but when you were um, all fighting together, the combinations of the different weapons and the styles that you used was really important because, you know, I've mentioned with, with Paddy and I running stuff that we do have this sort of his level of chaos and, and up front with the, with the guns and me sort of holding back and trying to clear things off at distance has always worked really well in games. And we, we kind of yes. play off one another really well. And when you've got a group of people that are using different things, that's, and you know, you, you may be being saved by somebody because they're running shotguns and there's lots of things <laughs> that, are, that are going on close to you or that, uh, that spontaneity I think is, is wonderful in the moment. And, uh, <laughs> how, how many times have we had the moment? where I'll just shout help over the over the microphone you'll say what's going on I'll go everything <laughs> yeah it's uh, it's cool particularly at the end of uh, um, strikes and such you you do get a kind of scorecard uh, as to how you did as opposed to how others in your group did which um, <laughs> while it may start some arguments is also uh, kind of useful for bragging rights but mm. um, I, I do I do definitely agree with the um, the dynamic that you can develop with the other people that you run with particularly if it is the same person or group of people all the time, uh, that that can definitely add a layer of strategy to particularly larger things like raids or like uh, even just strikes or uh, the daily missions or anything like that. Um, But you can also, uh, we've talked a bit about the armor and the weapons, Uh, you can personalize your character in some purely cosmetic ways as well. Uh, And uh, just real briefly, I'd like to know if any of you got into uh, the personalization aspect that way, I will say that I got very into shaders and had oh God, yeah. a lot. I had a lot of shaders. Let's just say that. They even had a, a magazine that was released uh, at the newsstands over here, like a big Destiny magazine, which had codes for shaders at the back of it. Ooh. Mm, oh, God, I remember exactly. that. That's yeah. really nice. It was a good read as well. Really good read. They had some some, hmm. some top UK journalists on it, but on the, uh, you know, at the back, there were... They were just lists that you could you could uh, you could add into the Bungie website for for shaders. Yeah, I was rather <laughs> happy with the very pink armor that I had. <laughs> well, I, I was the same. I, if I, I found the orangest one possible and ran with it, I remember doing the Crota's End bounties for about three, maybe four weeks to get my Crota's End rank up enough so I could get the sun setting mm-hmm. um, shader, which a, is the- That was a beautiful ah, yes. shader. The glowing orange, and it looked great on my guy as well. It, it was 
everything I'd ever wanted. But you could have something that looked really good, and then you might go, oh, look, I've got that new coat. This guy, oh, my God, that looks horrible now. Yeah, the glass house helmet, uh, which was a fabulous helmet, but it looked awful with pretty much every shader because the exotic item would not change colour. But in terms of shaders, I was quite basic. I love Chat White, uh, the Vault of Glass shader. The, just the, the simple white one always looked really cool. Um, but my, my memories of Chatter White are purely tainted because I would run raids consistently with the same group of friends. And we had a, a friend, uh, Pete Turner, who would run it in the hopes of getting either Fatebringer or the Vex uh, Mythoclast and just only ever got Chatter White. <laughs> and, and all you would hear is this barrage of foul language over comms followed by Chatter White. <laughs> my, my memory of Chatterwhite is uh, not long after I think the Vault of Glass I saw somebody wearing it who had the possibly the best name on PS4 I've ever seen but particularly we, the we way that it tied into that we, yeah particularly the way that it tied into that shader this person's name was Battle Milk <laughs> But you can also customize your your transportation. Uh, you do get a ship that does not do much, but you will see it a lot during loading screens for the most part until you get into the very upper levels and the very exclusive ships. They all are kind of a brownish color, uh, so it, it's more about what shape you prefer, and uh, you can get some fairly interesting ships later on in uh, in some of the later expansions, but those and sparrows, uh, which are your kind of little motorbikes, which also uh, turn into uh, racing capability later on down the line uh you can customize both those and the horns that honk once you uh once you honk your horn when you are on the sparrow mine was a wolf howl uh which was wonderful i i enjoyed that a whole lot and my favorite ship moment was was actually kind of uh in the the opening level where you first found it and you yes. sort of rattled to life and sort of spat dust out and the the music did a real star wars like dun 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 dun, 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 dun. like like the bit where the the Millennium Falcon's about to leave the Death Star, and it, or, the only thing that it didn't do was like a. But it was more like a Phantom Menace pod racer. God, but but that that moment of kind of oh, this is my ship, and it's rattling into life, and that that was one of the first shivers that I had, where I was like, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have fun with this. <laughs> I do wish that they had done more with the ships. Just, mm, I mean, yeah. they they were purely or, ornamental at uh, at the level that uh, that we saw in in the space game. But um, I, I really wish that I'm not even sure what they would have done. Whether it would have been space battles or whether it would have been uh, internal things that happened on your ship. But it was just a loading screen. You were essentially customizing. So I mean, they'd done a space battle in Halo Reach, so the, the option mm, was true. there. Yeah. It's not like they hadn't even approached a space battle before and the Halo Reach one was actually really good so it was definitely mm. disappointing mm. Um, because the, the all they did was highlight how many players had actually loaded in amongst the party before going into sort of strikes or raids or whatnot which, which was kind of a cool way to use them but ships are awesome right you know highlight that fact we're in space really yeah. take advantage of them i mean you in, do in stare regards at that, to the sparrows, at that ship for quite a while <laughs> the thing that got to me and it was pointed out by a friend of mine who's not into games who's really into sort of science fiction and will like uh, look at the, the the games that i've got and sort of study it from a design point of view and he pointed out and i could never shake this that the engines on the ship 
just looked like a, a, a burner on a gas oven. They were just vaguely, mm, yeah. sort of pathetically flickering rather than like a big sort of thoom like you were flying across the galaxy. <laughs> Although I did like the way that they did, again, it was, it was a very Star Wars cut where they'd just hold the frame and they'd have the ship sort of zooming right past you as if you were standing on, you know, the side of a mountain and stuff. And that was, that was always a, a fave, especially if it did a bit of twirling. Mm. But I like that the ships didn't... I mean, I actually preferred the ships not doing anything because it meant you could pick the one that looked the coolest. Like, you could pick something ridiculous and not worry that it had stat problems, uh, like with guns and stuff. You know, you could just pick the one that you liked the guess of. Like, the, the ship I ended up picking for a while just looked like that had wings that were speakers. Like, just... <laughs> Big old bass speakers on the side of the on, on the side of a tiny cockpit. I was like, "That'll do. That's ridiculous. I'll take that one. Thank you, Robert. And it was bright orange as well, so it kind of ticked all the boxes. Of course. Let's talk a little bit about the other people in the universe who might have seen these horrible ships that we had, or the sparrows <laughs> that we are driving around on. So we're going to talk a bit about the story shortly, but the people in the universe. There were NPCs that you can interact with, and some of them you would see more than others, uh, particularly the head of your guardian class or the cryptarch, who was the uh, one who would take the things that you find out on your missions and turn them into actual usable gear. But Everyone's uh, favorite person. Yes, the cryptarch <laughs> is, uh, is a good guy. Uh, but so what I, I suppose I'd like to ask here is, uh, did any of these NPCs in particular leave a noticeable impression on you as, as the story went on? Not until The Taken King, when Cade Six yeah. suddenly started, when Fillion just rose to the challenge. Nathan Fillion, who played uh, Cade Six, the hunter uh, boss, I suppose you'd call him the, the the head of the hunters. He had a good script and they, you know, there was there was a back and forth. There was a little bit of chemistry between the uh, the folks in the tower. Because mm-hmm. then the nice thing was that whereas where it had gone into uh, the Taken King, you got something that was really, really sinister with the, the villain mm-hmm. that, had, that had arrived. But you were laughing at the same time. And I always like it when Tone is played about with like that it doesn't take away from the the menace it just kind of leads you to sort of chuckle as you go along you're not getting lost in sort of you know one sort of somber tone but um Mm. it needed some some brevity i think a lot of the characters you meet are very one note they're quite dry a lot of the the language and a lot of the words they're just sort of speaking space nonsense and i think cade six was the one that left the biggest impression for me because he was because he was nathan villian but he would like, he'd whisper, like you'd see him later, he'd say, have fun on your mission. And you'd hear him just whisper, take me with you. But he made me laugh before kind of they started, uh, Bungie started getting better at making the characters interesting and different. And even, you know, Ikora and uh, Zavala, the other sort of hunter or guardian leaders even, as the story progressed on and as we started hitting these DLC packs, they gained personalities and they became interesting yeah. and I was looking forward to them. Whereas in the first run of the game, the, the story was there, I guess, and the NPCs were there and they said stuff and then I went and shot stuff. I It didn't really It take... was more to kind of shovel you towards sort of, you know, beautiful uh, environments and, you know, fun times with your friends, but it, it wasn't really story mm. heavy and the, the dialogue has as much as it had been carved up, just seemed all the more strange given that they got some top-class actors. Yeah. Yeah. The Mm. voice acting was, is 
excellent in in the game uh with a few notable exceptions but with two out of the three actors being from firefly it you kind of kind of see what the vibe is that they're going for there i think be it intentional or not i thought it had a, a really nice effect and uh, apparently Kate six is going to have a fairly substantial role in destiny 2 so uh, we'll see how that plays out um voice acting questions though can be raised so uh let's talk about the ghosts um, yeah. <laughs> when you awake uh, as a guardian you have a ghost which is a uh, kind of a tiny little robot who who uh, floats along beside you and tells you what's going on, who aids you, who uh, has some things to say about the situations that you're going into. When Destiny began, the ghost was voiced by Peter Dinklage of Game of Thrones fame, amongst other things. Somewhere along the line, um, the voice was changed. People had problems with, uh, with Peter Dinklage voicing this character because it seemed like he was just kind of phoning it in uh, is how I've heard. Now, I personally think that the one true ghost is Peter Dinklage. Yes. In fact, yes. um, we we referred to him as Dinklage even after uh, the voice change. Yeah, uh, Dinklage, um, both a noun and a verb. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and, and Dinklage that thing over there. Um, but uh, yes, so Peter Dinklage and then was taken over by Nolan North. And that to me felt really odd because some of it is the exact same line that are just being read again by Nolan North right. in a different way. And it just, it didn't With feel more right. emotion. Yeah, I mean, I guess. But he's a robot. I, I just, I don't, I liked Peter Tinklage's performance. Um, I thought yes. it fit. I was good. I was good with it, and um, see, I, li I like Dinklage because he was grumpy. Yeah, Never, I mean, it was a little, a little kind of flying sort of square thing that was had to take three turns to open a door, and it genuinely <laughs> sounded a bit naffed off about it. Never mind the He's delivery. He's a cranky of the robot. Yes, yeah. I mean, never mind the delivery of the lines or the other issues that folks have with the vocal. He was a color in the game. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think possibly the strongest color in the game, um, well, probably ahead of, uh, of Fillion at that point that he was there, but it, he was the ghost and I, I, I missed him when he was gone. The story going round was that they couldn't get hold of Peter Dinklage. He was too busy filming Game of Thrones. They couldn't fly him out for a recording session. You know, whether or not you believe that, um, that that's up to you. I don't. From, I don't mm. personally believe that that to be the case anyway, but... The first beta that came out, or the, the alpha, whichever it was that people got their hands on that was private, he used to speak and people complained. They said he sounds ridiculous. And Bungie would come out and say, you know what? He, he, he's a robot. He's supposed to sound emotionless, mm -hmm. but we'll just tweak him a little bit. So they tweaked him a little bit, and then the next beta comes out, and people go, well, he's a little bit better, but, you know, he still sounds really bad. And, like, well, we've gotten the way we like, but we'll tweak him a little bit more, you know. That, that's, <laughs> you know. Then the final game comes out, and people go, well, he sounds better, but, you know, it still feels like it's just phoned in. It really doesn't sound very good. And they're like, well, we're quite happy with him. A year down the line, they just replace it completely. But the irony actor. was that, that, that mm. sort of after all that that criticism, and the internet is astonishing at jerking its knee at stuff and, and, and pushing mm -hmm. things out of all proportion but everybody missed that wizard came from the moon <laughs> and Bungie even like they cut it out the, yeah Bungie cut it out of the final version but then put it on a t-shirt that they sold for charity and it made like shed loads of money mm -hmm. and it, I don't understand what it, I mean you, you're doing kind of a giggly brilliant space opera 
that that line why don't you just embrace it why don't you celebrate it you've done that with the t-shirt you've raised Absolutely. tons of money for charity just yeah. keep it in there it's if you've got something great. that's meme worthy embrace it because that's 100%, a connection yeah well let me let me put it this way so i i never really glommed on to dinklebot that much <sighs> it was all right but like you say he was a color but for me it was mostly beige um <laughs> for every line that made me laugh there were 15 that didn't um and i'd never really it, it always felt i, I I wouldn't say I was one of the internet people, but I would say it did feel a bit phoned in in places. Mm. And I know he's supposed to be a robot and that's the point. But when I'm running around a magical space world, I want a bit more excitement. I want them to be like jazzed for me. Like, oh, good, good job on the on the shooting of the aliens. Well done. Do you done. think Nolan North brought that then? I think so. It Put yourself in the mind. You're Peter Dinklage. You're on Game of Thrones. Everyone loves you for Game of Thrones. Oh, you're Peter Dinklage is good on Game of Thrones, isn't he? You do, you do Destiny. Everyone says you sound a bit rubbish. Do you want to do that anymore? I wouldn't. I'd be like, ah, sod it then. I, I won't bother. Um, sure. Whereas Nolan North came in and he gave, I think he gave Ghost a different personality, maybe more panicked, a bit more flighty, mm. a little bit sort of twitchier maps. And I, I think it works better for the Ghost. I think that my biggest problem with the change was that by the time that Nolan North came on as the voice of the Ghost, I had already heard these lines so so many times yeah, coming yeah. from Peter Dinklage that it just felt weird and wrong coming from Nolan North. It just, it wasn't the same. So we've talked a lot about uh, the characters that you meet and who you are, but what do you do in Destiny anyway? Uh, so let's start off with a couple of pieces of correspondence from the community. Uh, you can contribute to this if you are so inclined at the forum at canonrinse.com forum. And uh, this first post is by Ashman86 who says, never before have I had such a love-hate relationship with a game as I do with Destiny. It's the type of game that you turn on casually at 10 p.m. on a weeknight only to find yourself finally crawling into bed at 2 a.m., your eyes bloodshot and your alarm set for just a few hours later. It's addictive fun with some of the best gunplay in gaming and a virtual infinitude of content to consume. But it also nags at you like an insecure lover. It promises you progress but delivers few gains. It's cyclical and redundant. It requires your unconditional dedication and it punishes you for your infidelity. You can easily log a thousand hours in the game and not see all it has to offer, not because of how deep or vast its game world is, but because so much of that world is reserved for only the eyes of the most fanatical or the most skilled. Its story is locked away behind Bungie's website, its most memorable encounters are locked behind eight-man raids, and its best gear is locked behind a befuddling system of RNG and, more recently, microtransactions. It demands its players' time, yet it delivers so little return on the investment." And then another post by Marco says, Destiny is a fun, well-crafted, and polished shooter. Movement feels crisp and precise, some of the best I've ever experienced on a controller. The exception is the floaty sack boy jump of the warlock, but this was easy to get used to and is only frustrating in a few platform moments. The switch to third person as the game needs feels smooth and works well, although I do wish they committed to first person for the sword wielding. Coming to the game late, I was pleasantly surprised by the number of players online. This is coming off the back of Battleborn, though, my most recent shooter slash slasher with special powers, but a game where setting up a co-op game took an age to play. Meeting other players online in a single player game oddly reminded me of another game I just played with no headset and only jumping up and down, spinning about in emotes for communication, many of the campaign missions felt like playing Journey. The first time I saw a fight in the distance while bumbling around, I headed over to see a hunter fighting a taken captain. Running behind the captain, jumping from the top of the hill, throwing down a Nova bomb before delivering a swift punch to the head made me feel like I was an actual superhero team-up. 
in each encounter, even if I wasn't the most effective participant, just being able to lend a hand to a fellow guardian made me feel like I was part of something larger, which I guess is what Bungie was aiming for. The story washed over me in all honesty, but the strikes were a story enabler that helped me enjoy the game all the more. Genuine teamwork punctuated with magnificent moments of heroism, followed by celebration or hubristic changes resulting in a rueful grin. I had a great time. So we've heard a little bit about the story, uh, which uh, I would describe as nondescript. So there is story in Destiny. There's a lot of story in Destiny. It's just all kind of hidden. Uh, Did you guys get into the story of Destiny at all? And if so, how? Going into Destiny, I expected this incredible story epic. I think a lot of people did. CJ mentioned at the drop about Joe Stanton, fabulous writer. Hello ODST is uh, some of the best I've experienced in a first-person game outside mm. of your mainline Half-Life titles. It is absolutely superb. Excellent writer. Um, full of respect for Bungie, how open they are with the community, talking about stuff. And then you start hearing these stories of unrest, and I thought, well, you know, the game's got to be done, right? In, they can't mess that much up. At least the main core of Bungie that have overlooked the franchise that I've adored since 2001, are there. It's That's going to be the product. And then you hear that Joe Statton is the one that's unhappy, and I, I started sort of panicking a bit. And then you started hearing these murmurings of stories to be read on the website. The game's now open, not linear. Grimoire cards. And I, I didn't want to pay too much attention because I didn't want the game spoiled, but you start hearing these murmurings, and they were, they were plentiful. And then you start playing it, and you kind of get the story. You get your ship, as we mentioned. And then there's just, like, nothing. Mm. Like... It's really weird. And the whole time, Bungie are telling us, no, the story's there. It's a great story. There's so much story. And even diehard community fans are are trying their best to sort of defend this story that's implemented. And they took this really strange decision to not put the story in the game, but have it in the game, but run it externally via the Bungie website. But you can only read it externally via the Bungie website, if you found the dead ghosts, which enable your grimoire cards, which you can then read on the website, but the grimoire cards don't necessarily fall in order, so you could get part two of a three-part story and read that for... and Because you... they brought in another writer for the grimoire cards, didn't they, once they, they, they kind of... They did. They, they cannoned out uh, Joe Staten and Joe left as a result well, of it. Yeah, this is a strange thing. Is that apparently there's this supercut that this story came in and they'd, they'd written it and it was fantastic. It was going to be this linear-based story. You'd go around. A lot of it revolved around uh, Rasputin and finding Rasputin, which mm. you know we met, we do sort of meet the War Mind briefly, mm. but all we know is that he likes a bit of Beethoven and <laughs> and he's actually a core element of the story and it involves you going on uh, the Dread or Comet, as it was called at the time, which is why everyone thought that the additional content was going to be called Comet. Uh, Comet. It later became the Taken King and the Dreadnought, which was actually removed from the game. The mm-hmm. levels were originally going to be played through uh, linearly, be going back and forth, but they didn't like that. And the story that had been delivered was classed as being uh, a little bit campy, which is a strange criticism when that's why Halo was so good. The campy story was absolutely what sold so many people on Halo and what's missing from that franchise now. Yeah, that's what they kind of veered towards with the Taken King anyway. Which was written by someone that Joe Statton brought in. (laughs) Was was it really? That's amazing. Joe Joe Statton brought him in 
to assist, and he ended up taking over because and and to a degree putting the pieces back together that, that were missing. And this all stemmed from a massive falling out in the development of the game. Joe Stanton is obviously a very qualified story writer, and I'm sure he did come up with something that was absolutely superb. But when the senior staff at Bungie are saying that they didn't like it and basically had to start from scratch, and these are the stories that are coming out, you really start to worry, especially when the people that are going against Joe Stanton are the people he's worked alongside for years. So that is a serious falling out of, like, incredible proportions at a studio that showed a togetherness like Bungie. That was the impression that they'd given throughout all those years with the weekly updates on the Bungie blog and um, loving their community and everyone felt involved and it felt like this real family development process and you suddenly see these people left, right, falling out of of Bungie and leaving to different studios and now you get their senior. Because Marty mirrored that sort of quite heavily with That was the big thing. When Marty left, we knew that something was seriously going wrong at Bungie. You know, with Joe, a writer can leave. You know, it it sucks because Halo's so established on its writing. But when Marty leaves, Mm. something serious Didn't Marty do something Mm. like 50-odd minutes worth of music to give an idea of the tone of the game yeah. before the game was even yep. vaguely there. The he put a, the he put a CD together. He, he's an absolute genius. And the most heartbreaking moment of how family-oriented Bungie used to be, in my eyes, was when he won the Music Award for best mm-hmm. score in a game and he just had that sort of solemn look in his face like he couldn't celebrate it. And it, it's kind of sad because we still don't know really who to blame. I mean, maybe some insiders say that, you know, Joe Statton's story wasn't that great. Others have said, you know what, there was loads of great content in there. In fact, there's an excellent article on Kotaku um, regarding the messy true story behind the making of Destiny, which if anyone wants to re- sort of read more in the background because we're... we're solely time limited when we're recording a podcast it is a very good insight into some of the unrest yeah. that happened but uh, there's no doubt that even an hour or two hours into just playing the game for the first time you sort of realize that something is amiss that that serious story is is just not there and and it's become very much uh, the ability to go level uh, and certain areas do open up after a certain point, but there's a lot of freedom on the player and the fact that the wanted repetition of missions and, and heavy storyline doesn't you know, benefit that, especially when it's linear. It ended up being stitching stuff together. We knew that there was a character called Crow, and loads of people oh, yeah, who had been yeah. playing this in private were raving mm. about this character, Crow, who was going to be a key core element, and we were waiting to see him. And then we realised that Crow's, Crow was actually uh, made into the Queen's brother, in the House of Wolves DLC, oh, uh, right. changed character, and then their followers are just called Crows. And we don't even get that story fleshed out. So the, the, the story, the original story of Crow, which was a core element, is gone. And Rasputin, who we realise is a war mind that has been captured, and apparently spent the last third of the original game under Joe Statton's entry trying to rescue him from the Dreadnought, was completely cut, because we knew that content had to have been cut in terms of mm. locations. It was true. Mm-hmm. The Dreadnought was removed completely. And that uh, there was actually another exosuit, which we'd seen in marketing, which was covered in blood, was actually Rasputin, but he was controlled by the war mind. And you, you think these are all key elements that would have really benefited the story, but it, it, it's just not. It, it rings incredibly hollow when you're playing it. I mean, when you did, so you, you, you've got to say that for whatever you know, to whatever changes they made, they got a game that loads of people got into. It sold really well. It became sort of a you know a, a cultural sort of 
milestone for, for for gaming but as someone that with with stat and with odst where you had a um uh, a new member of a team that were just a human team that, that that crashed on a planet and you got this this really amazing noir soundtrack and you were wandering through to get to a point where one of the other members of the team had lost a weapon or a helmet and then it would cut to the bluster that led up to the point of that person losing that item and then would become really lonely and dark and go back to the other player and that the way that all that was brought together was really unusual for a, for a game was really well done with halo reach you started with a broken helmet on the floor which was your own basically telling you that you're not going to survive this like going through seeing seeing your team slowly slowly get get lost and then an amazing section at the end which you can't win where you're fighting the hordes that are coming at you that mm. lead to the point where you 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 die you lose that helmet and if Anything sort of irks is the fact that for me, Joe Statton has won the right to tell me another story because yeah. those two were mm. exceptional. And it would not surprise me at all if when Halo 6 is announced, because Statton is at Microsoft now, if Statton's written it, especially with Halo 5 being so badly written, um, and if Marty's doing the soundtrack and people rally around that because of that it family, would be huge. because of that family mm-hmm. element that that uh, that Carl was mentioning, and it's kind of strange because it was Jason Jones uh, who was the project lead on Destiny and other Halo games, who has his own interest in history. I mean, there's an incredible history to uh, Jason Jones's involvement in Halo Two um, in some documentaries for anyone who might be interested on his input at, at Bungie. Um, and it feels like having them all work together for him to sort of lead this team and the other seniors underneath him to single out Joe Statton really did leave a bad taste in my mouth. Mm. And it was like I was playing this, but I really find it hard to forgive Bungie. And it's strange because I've spent prior to this the last decade plus praising Bungie as the ultimate mm-hmm. family-oriented studio for building a product. Mm. It's it's tough to talk about the story in Destiny because it is largely you have to go find the story if you want the story, and th- there's definitely a story there, but it's not it's not interwoven with the mechanics in a way that actually lets you find it unless you're looking for it. Uh, there are grimoire cards, which are uh, chunks of story that you receive uh, either by completing missions or uh, certain objectives in the environment, or also by finding dead ghosts, which are your um, your dinklages, uh, if you will, scattered around the environment that you can reactivate and locate more information than you would have had otherwise. Uh, but you you don't get that. You kind of have to either go to the website and view that or just kind of on your own time. If you don't want the story in Destiny, then you don't need to have the story mm-hmm. in Destiny. But it, it is there. Mm-hmm. It is interesting, I find. And it... Uh, it it deserved better than it got. Uh, like when you when you've got I, I lore thought. videos and stuff on, like Terramantis did some really great ones mm-hmm. where he dug into yeah. the lore, and you're just thinking like, oh, this is this is this is really good. And there was all this, mm-hmm. there was a, a thing that constantly sort of 
uh, itched at my mind that um, you know the, the the travel arrived in the face of the darkness, and I always wonder if like the darkness was born out of the traveler, and it was this this cycle mm. of kind of universes being destroyed by something that people believed in or giving humanity and level to fight for. I don't know. It's that that was always uh, on my mind, but I... it's fascinating. But the darkness is a really strange thing because I don't know if you've ever seen the the interview with Luke Smith, who is now lead on Destiny Two. Uh-huh. He basically admitted that Bungie don't actually know what the darkness is. They added it into the game. <laughs> they don't know what it is. It no longer exists in Destiny 2. But there were so many Grimoire cards. <laughs> yeah. It must be in there somewhere. Well, we know that the Hive worship the darkness, but every every enemy class is, is, is regarded as followers of the darkness. But even that's not right. So they've even broke their own sort of story arc in that regard because only the Hive worship the darkness, but they don't even know what the darkness is. And he actually I, I admits think, this in an interview prior to uh, Destiny's 2's launch. Kind of weird. Yeah, and I, like we say, I think the biggest sin, like the absolute biggest sin, like the story in the game could have been rubbish uh, or hard to discern without doing some digging. Uh, not to open this can of worms, but, you know, Dark Souls, anyone? Uh, <laughs> where you have to dig in to find the stories mm-hmm. that are there. But the fact that I have to leave my video game and open an app that then takes an hour yeah. to load because the the cards all have artwork or to go on a website and log in with my account, but then I can only read the ones that I found and you're getting half of a story and you need to, oh no, you need to shoot another thousand guys with a hand cannon to finish mm. this story. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I'm not doing it, that. It's Just strange. give me the stuff I want. It, it's like, I imagine that they took a look at the way that the Elder Scrolls games tell their stories, that there's little bits that are told to you as you play. You can go mission to mission. You don't have to do everything in an order. You can go and sort of just wander over, you know, west, whatever, explore that area. But if you want, you can go in, you can go and read the books and there's information and backstory and lore. And it's it's incredible Ooh. that the Elder Scrolls games do it. And it's really in depth. But at least it's all in the game. Yeah. Yeah. True. This is all information or story that that you can discover on your own, but there is also a fairly substantial <laughs> chunk of game that you do not get unless you're playing with other people. Uh, so let's talk about uh, multiplayer for a little bit. There are two kind of major chunks of multiplayer, um, as there are in many games. There's uh, the co-op and there is the bit that you play against others. So... Uh, I never actually got into PvP. Did any of you? Were you fans of the Crucible? Uh, did you get into the Iron Banner or the Trials of Osiris? Uh, how how did that work out for you? Well, I only uh, I only ever did PvP because I never play online shooters. I, I don't like them. I don't like the communities that do them. I don't enjoy them. I'm bad at them. Why would I play yeah, something same. I'm bad at that I don't <laughs> enjoy? Um, but I remember trying the first Iron Banner. It was rough. But because we were playing control, I found that I could be effective. I could run around, I could hold points. And because I think with the Iron Banner, every single person jumped on. Like everyone that was playing Death was like, what's this all about? Let's all play this. I I think when Iron Banner opened as well, it was was a big deal because the Crucible had already been open at this point, but we knew that Iron Banner was coming. It was mentioned in the Bungie blogs, but we were left with an element of the tower that was unopened. It was shuttered down. But if you look through the crack, you could actually see there was a dead ghost. And it was a case of, Mm. I want to see more tower. And unfortunately, it was only a tiny additional bit of tower, which was a little bit of a shame. But there was a dead 
Red Ghost in there, and then it opened up all these rewards that you would have to level up, um, and and at sort of tier three, I think you could unlock, start purchasing some stuff, and then at tier five, you could get the the um, sort of really expensive, more rare Iron Banner stuff. And it was a case that yeah. there was certain sh- uh, shaders that you could only get, or um, at times like weapons and so forth. And it became this really competitive uh, run. It felt like the ran Iron Banner, at least for me, too much. Like this was something that was becoming like a monthly or a bi-monthly kind of thing, and it was I didn't get it this time, so I'll get it next time, and then the next time appeared, and it was the same stuff. And I feel like if they'd taken approach somewhat similar to how Overwatch has approached its events, that you get the uh, the summer games, or you get the Year of the Dragon, or you um, yeah, the chat, sorry, the Chinese New Year uh, thing that was Year of the Dragon and uh, and Uprising, and these are events that run for two weeks annually and they feel special as a result because if you don't get the things in that two weeks you've got to wait a whole year and mm. it felt like they didn't quite know what to do with the iron banner it was like we're going to create this competitive pvp mode but it will just run it again mm. i can see that I, I can see that yeah but that for me uh, as someone who doesn't do a lot of pvp it was like oh hey it's pvp time like this month and it would be again next month uh, for me i found it was the one thing that actually got me to do lots of pvp yeah. uh and it's it got me on I'd say maybe six or seven Iron Banners in a row. Like I was on every time and getting myself up to rank five every time because I, I, I needed that sweet cape and I needed that sweet wolf hat. <laughs> yeah, well, we know you love a cape. I, I love a cape. I do love a cape. And some of the guns you could get were really good too. I think the first goofy one that I'd found, because <laughs> um, the capes were cool, you know, and they had like cool collars and they were all different colours. But the one, that had, the one that was just a wolf's head sitting on top of your regular helmet was the first really goofy yeah. one I'd seen that we could have. For a Hunter as well, wasn't it? Yeah, like the warlock's got there the ram head with the, the the horn sticking out the front. But yeah, we'd never had anything that silly. And I got that. I was like, right, this is what I'm wearing forever now. Done. And I kept that cape on for probably the next six months to a year of my time with the game because it was it was just silly. And then especially when you're playing Iron Banner, you're like, no, I'm putting my Iron Banner stuff off this week because it's Iron Banner time and I'm going to dress like it's the Iron Banner and get my Iron Banner shader. And not just for the experience bonus because that's part of the fun. And I think one of their major implementations and design decisions that they'd made really showcased itself with the Iron Banner and that was that you would level up, as I mentioned, to get to rank three or rank five to buy these specific items. But then if you loaded in and you'd done that as your hunter and then you loaded in your warlock, you were starting from zero again. So you had to do mm-hmm. rank five for every class that you had and that <laughs> maybe wasn't the ideal way to do it. Like, allow you to earn overall, I think would have been a fab better way to do stuff because it it essentially ran in the same way that we already had the factions like future war cult and dead orbit which gave you additional customization options and i think when iron banner came in it really showcased that people were a bit bored of seeing everyone in the same armor type or the same shader chat white um and (laughs) people really needed more customization and of course we did get this unfortunately it took pretty much till the taken king before they really went all in on changing it up and allowing a sense of variety and i think that's why i was drawn to the first two or three iron banners but then after that it just didn't feel like a special event anymore um and the only time pvp became special was if you could get to the uh lighthouse in trials of osiris which came in with house of wolves for 10 perfect wins in a row and nothing felt overly special about PvP anymore. And that's not even taken into account the feel of PvP, which it feels very different to how Halo did its PvP. And I know we're drawing a lot of comparisons to Halo, but it's the obvious 
comparison to be making, uh, given it's the studio's follow-up game. And for all the reasons, the silliness, the crazy wackiness, the the incredible physics, the... I know Leon mentions this a lot. You get Halo moments and Battlefield moments, and other multiplayer games don't really offer those kinds of off-the-cuff, insane, did-I-just-see-what-I-think-I-saw moments. Mm. And Destiny just didn't have that. It felt very soulless, very dry. I mean, technically very adept. And if you're looking for a technical shooter, it was really very good. But uh, for me, it felt like the soul that made Halo so much fun to play was completely missing. And if friends asked me to play PvP, I'd go and play because I was playing with friends. But I found it very hard to go and jump into PvP to play for fun. So it, it, oh, See, that's strange for me because I've... Again, maybe because I don't play a lot of PvP-type games, but... For me, as as somebody who doesn't do that, Destiny gave me some of those. Um, I, I'll always remember like one of the first times I went out with my uh, when I got the Night Stalker class and my Hunter, which was the the bow super that does like a net that slows everyone down. Yeah. Uh, so I fired that off, had my heavy ammo, uh, my heavy machine gun ready, and took out the entire team in about five seconds. And I just stood there looking at the empty field of no enemies, going, <laughs> "That felt." Brilliant. That was amazing. And I remember taking uh, Josh Garrity, uh, Kane and Rinty's Josh Garrity. Uh, we did the co-op mission where you, you have to bring in a new player and you can kind of earn rewards together. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of walking in through some stuff. We went into the Crucible. I found some heavy ammo and went like 26 to 2, like kill death. <laughs> and I I am not good at PvP. Let me stress this very, very no, like, I am usually I. in the like... 0.7s, like 0.5s. I went 26 and 2, and I have no idea how I did it. <laughs> I was like, it's because Josh is here. Josh is magic. You would, <laughs> you'd, you'd certainly have some good rounds in PvP, but I felt like when I think back about playing Halo Reach, which is one of the multiplayer games I in, invested the most amount of time into on a console, and you'd have things like Rocket Rally and the, the creative modes through Forge where you, you would be trying to race on race tracks that were custom created above the worlds or Griff Ball and the, like just really out there, fun, crazy things. And Destiny lends itself to that so much and there was just none. It, it allowed you mm. to knock a ball around in the tower for a bit in PvE, but in <laughs> PvP there was no sort of creativity. And this is a game that has sparrows already in and why are we limited to these only sparrows? I think back about Halo and I think you've got ghosts and you've got warthogs, which are a three-player co-op vehicle. This is a three-player co-op game. Why don't I have like co- three-player co-op vehicles? And then mm. you've got the different classes of vehicles and you've got hornets which can fly. And Why haven't I got this cool stuff? Stuff that you had this cool stuff in 2001 for three player court vehicles in Halo. This is released in 2014, 13 years on, and you're restricted me to single player vehicles that are no fun. It Ooh. took you months to add in a, a sparrow, which was great because you could do flips, although then you'd go and join a random strike and you'd look behind you and you realize everyone's trying to do like a triple pipe flip double backflip super jump and falling off i ran into things a lot i will i will i will own up to that <laughs> how many times cj would we hear one of us go watch this <laughs> two seconds later <laughs> ah! i'd state for the record that I, I don't like pvp i find it boring and also i'm rubbish at it yeah Mine i don't generally... boring necessarily but i am not good at it so i i did tend to stick to the pve but uh, even even mm. in the pve there are plenty of uh things that you can do with other people uh there are social spaces uh such as the tower which is the first one that you kind of encounter uh where you can see other people you can uh, pick up uh different quests that you get to uh you can store your things Things, you can uh, 
talk to people from different factions. But I think that the uh, biggest thing that we're going to talk about today is probably going to be the raids, which are uh, six players. They can be in your particular, um, in your clan, or they can be with other different people. Uh, But they are kind of the things that require the most coordination, the most uh, communication with the other people in your uh, your particular raid group. So I would like to start by reading a couple of pieces of correspondence regarding raids, and uh, and then we're going to talk about raids a bit. This one is from Robotic Monkey, who says... Playing my first ever raid with a handful of the wonderful Kanerman's community, no less, with people who were kind enough to drag me through, kicking and screaming, calling out where to look and when to shoot. It was an amazing experience, but one I will remember most for insisting that before jumping down to start the raid, that everyone form an orderly dance line, flip-flopping between banding together to be a serious, coordinated fighting force, and giggling uncontrollably is something I won't forget for a while. Sure, the store is a hot mess. Sure, the loot drops are a random number generator from hell. Sure, the armor and weapon stats are more complex than maybe they could have been, but the fundamental movement and shooting mechanics of the game are, for me, spot on. I spent many an hour in party chats just rolling around and quite literally shooting the breeze. And from Bloody Initiate says, If you haven't experienced a Destiny raid going in blind with your friends, then you really have missed out. I remember being up into the wee hours on our first one, going most of the way with five players, then drafting a sixth to finish. What a victory. We earned it, too. We went in completely unaware of how to win and won. It is the difficulty curve of the best parts of Dark Souls, take a drink, technically and mentally combined with the sheer joy of co-op gaming at its best. If you are now playing Destiny, have not done a raid, and know some friends who also have not, then try one. Do it without guides and plan for it to take all day. But for each high, there are embarrassing, hateful, rock-bottom lows. After experiencing a raid, I figured I could make Destiny about raids. I ground down my enemies in Iron Banner just so I could get a helmet that would let me raid again. When I was motivated, I felt powerful, but the game can only deliver that motivation in combination with the schedules of your friends and the fortitude of their personalities. When your fun depends on six-player co-op and single-player doesn't have much to offer, you'd better have a lot of friends with unlimited patience and free time. Everyone has been grinding as much as you have, and they're all exhausted. I played The Taken King, but not Rise of Iron. It couldn't save this old guardian from the fatigue that had taken him. After my wife discovered I'd put in serious hours, scheduled the time slot with five other adults, made myself exhausted for work, and failed to go to bed with her, all just to come to bed miserable. All her patience evaporated, and so did mine. Destiny plays okay if you have a lot of friends to play with at the time, but that's not the case for most people. I often found myself playing Destiny mostly as a way to simply have a conversation with someone, like a phone call where you both play the same game. If I played solo, it was because I needed to catch up or keep up with my raid crew. All of this just to engage in a loot loop which exasperates you and all your friends. What's the point? Um, I remember the first time that we got together and we, we played the Vault of Glass and we, we realized we thought we're high enough level now we can actually finally enter the Vault of Glass because I think you had to be over level 26, I want to say, was the minimum entry requirement at launch. I think that's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we were like, well, we're 26. This will be fine. And we didn't watch any <laughs> videos. We made sure and we started it and it took us two hours to get into the vault because we couldn't figure out the puzzle because the whole mechanics of... The patrols, the strikes, the PvP, the standard uh, tower play, everything is completely different to what you see in the raids. They introduce puzzles and whole new scenarios and new different kinds of enemies. And 
we realise that we need to hold these blocks until the light, the lines are above our heads, and then once it's set and the tower's built and the line beam connects, the main door will open. So that took two hours, mm-hmm. and that was kind of the end of the night. So we all joined up again the next night, and we, we did that bit in like 20 minutes. We had a decent run. Um, we got in, we made our way down the cliffs, and then we saw this enemy, and we were trying to figure out what we had to do with this shield and then when to shoot, and... That took three hours, and by this point we were sort of four hours into the raid, and we thought, well, we'll come back the next night. So we came back the next night, progressed through those two sections within a couple of hours, and it sort of became this progression of, oh, this is a new area. What do we do? What's the mechanic? Where's the puzzle? This is the solution. How do we get across here? And then we had the uh, the invisible platform jumping session be- section because everyone loves platforming uh... in a first-person shooter, right? <laughs> Especially when people can't figure out. And then all the hunters are laughing at you going... And, and all the hunters are laughing going, well, I can just triple jump down there. I think the bit that, that threw me when you got further into the Vault of Glass was the not just the massive drops, but the bit where you had to jump away from the side of a mountain and then curve mm-hmm. around yeah. and land on the I other side. I know exactly where you're... Oh, God, I have PTSD from the part you're talking about. Ah. There's, there's, a, there's, a po- there's a point in me kind of which... Where all of my all of my stomach muscles just tensed up, as if irrationally that I was going to something was going to happen to me. It was amazing to elicit that kind of response it, in me. It really is. It, it's incredible because these these raids elicit moments that we you just don't experience at any other time in the game. Like it could, yeah. they are so different that they could if mechanically you weren't moving around with your current skill set be from a different game and that's what's fantastic because they are a real sense of adventure to them that that oh we have passed this part what are we going to see next and it's, mm-hmm. it's exciting in a way that you never got with any strikes and I'm, I'm thinking back even to the vault of glass moments where you see sort of the, uh, the the orbs that can't see you and the first time we ran in and it was just someone started unloading on these orbs and suddenly everyone wipes and you're like well i don't understand what happens so we ran in the second time and everyone shoots this one orb and you're like you realize now that's also not the way to do it and then someone finally finds this tiny little gap in the rock that that we all somehow hours later um find our way down and then we have the invisible platforming jump which took hours um, mm-hmm. And I remember watching from the bottom because I actually managed to make my way down relatively quickly because warlocks are amazing and they've got that slow drift jump and you can time stuff a little bit easier. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> or they just fail slower. And I, and I remember <laughs> like, I, was, I, I was sat down there for an hour and a half watching my teammates try and time these jumps, <laughs> and I'm trying to, I'm trying to give them a sense, and I'm just confusing them. You know, I'm trying to coach them, and it's not like I'm an expert at this point. I've done it once, and then we m- make the final room with Atheon and it's like we can't figure this out this is ridiculous and by this point the infamous uh, solar grenade glitch was available so we went on YouTube and realised that you could actually if you ran back around a pillar and then threw a solar grenade at its feet you'd essentially just slide off the map and you'd win so that's what we did and we did it for weeks and weeks and it felt kind of bad because we'd taken all the time to get through this very first raid that I don't know how many hours it took it took a lot of hours and every single second of those hours was incredibly enjoyable yeah, uh, because it was so different. And then I remember finishing it for the first time and thinking, well, that's great. I need more. I need... And then the first DLC was announced and they said, yeah, it's going to have a raid and I couldn't wait and I was expecting it all over again. And I don't think it's any surprise and I'm pretty sure we'll all agree that the Crota's End raid is not as good as Vault of Glass. Mm-hmm. It has some really cool mechanics mm. and the opening section is outstandingly tense. 
in a, a way that the Vault of Glass never is, with all of the uh, enemies running after you and you're desperately trying to fight to the spotlights where they won't go into the light. Again, brilliant moments and you're working out the mechanics and it just leaves you thinking, well, I kind of wish that Destiny was just a series of 10, 20 raids, whatever. Just give me just raids because those mechanics are so good. And it kind of left the rest of the game feeling a little bit boring. And I'd spend the the, the week because they'd had all these menial tasks like collect 20 fusion rifles so that I can give you a blue fusion rifle task. And you're like, well, I don't need it, but I'll do it anyway, whatever. It's not like I've got 300 other games unplayed. Um, But you'd be waiting for the Tuesday reset because then you might get Fatebringer or you might get Vision of Confluence. Or if you're really lucky, you might get the Vex Mythoclast. Um, Mm. And it just became a case of, well, I'll play Tuesdays because I can do the raid now and we'll do it dead quick and I might get an exotic engram. And it became a game about, well, if I get an exotic engram, then great, I'll get an exotic weapon, but it could be one that I don't have yet. And that's what (laughs) Destiny became for me for over a year. But it was kind of strange because, like Bloody Initiate mentioned in his feedback, to do it with friends and bringing people in blind Mm -hmm. that didn't understand it and even Mm -hmm. talking them through it became so joyful. And then... You'd, you'd realise that community sites like Destiny LFG had been formed where you could go with other people that wanted to go through raids and some people would mark that it was the first time through and you'd be like, well, I'll I'll bring you along. And, and Sherpering became a really big thing in this huge Destiny community that, that primarily seemed to run through Reddit but was so friendly and so helpful mm-hmm. and so upfront in giving information in a way that I felt like Bungie had completely left. And it got to the point that it genuinely felt like the community of people who loved playing Destiny were doing Bungie's job for them for free, um, which is a great situation for Bungie, I guess. But it, <laughs> that that's where I started. You know, I, I loved yeah. the raids for the experience in them and experimenting and, dis- and, and discovering new things. And, and it became so wonderful to be able to share these experiences and these adventures with people for the first time. And I like... That that for me is the true core magic of Destiny. I mean, I I had a I had a thing with my sort of first trip to the Vault of Glass where the awe was diminished somewhat by by people that run it a few times before yeah. tutting, yes, or, or sighing when you've not done anything. And it just mm. as much as it was a an adventure to kind of get through it and like falling into a fable rather than a uh, a sci fi epic. Um, at the end, I just kind of, I mean, especially that, that bit towards the end of the Vault of Glass, which I still don't understand with the screen going dark and shooting the things and going through the portals and all that kind of stuff. To have people going, oh, let's do it again. That diminished it. And I mean, the second time I went through was lovely with great people warmly shared, like really, really nicely, nicely led into it. And that made me want to sort of, bring folks together and mm. and kind of run through it from there but um very different experiences for me as someone who whose first experience was being shepherd through mm-hmm. um we i didn't play the fault of glass until probably just before house of wolves or before the taken king came out probably before taken king came out actually thinking mm. about it wow. um and cj actually bought us all together um our friend pete um, was our Sherpa and there were I think you said you'd done it once at that point CJ uh, and other than that there were yeah well there were four of us who had barely touched it uh, I'd, I'd never been in I'd never considered myself strong enough to get you in you walked when away was... from the game at that point before I, <laughs> I was kind done. of yeah, I, was... I strong armed you by buying you the DLC <laughs> yeah I was done I got to about level 20, 24 I think and just couldn't get the drops to get any better 
uh, and I kind of bottomed out like I'm, I'm done with this now I can't be bothered anymore uh, and then you got the DLC for me and I was back in again and suddenly I found a way to you know doing the stroke playlist a way to get myself stronger without having to go and do the raid because a lot of the thing I worried about is the only way to get stronger now is to go do the raid and I don't have six friends and I don't really want to do the looking for group thing um, so when we all came together for our sort of maiden run of the Vault of Glass we had our, our good friend Pete was Sherping us through and we'd, we'd run through and every before a bit we'd stop and we, we'd all we'd all sit down and he'd stand at the front and he'd tell us what was going to happen and he'd <laughs> give us the pictures. lessons yeah he'd give, <laughs> and we'd take silly pictures uh, and he'd tell us the, the lessons and if we, we had a question we'd stand up and we'd wave if we had a question <laughs> I remember that that yeah. was so lovely um, and I, I, I remember just like the things that you shout at each other when you do a raid are majestic like in, in the Vault of Glass in, at the ending fight it's like I'm back in time What's happening? I think I'm back in time. Everything's gone black. I've got a ball. What do I do? Do I shoot the ball? Don't shoot the ball. Why not? I'm dead now. Like trying to work out just the language you need to deal with the raids. It's so different from anything else in the game. Um, and I remember he, uh, with that, this same team, you know, we, we sort of went in as sort of friends and acquaintances, but we, we've come out as a, as a team. You know, we're a squad now. And yeah. that was what, two years ago was that? Now? Yeah, probably. I mean, the, the same the same Twitter group chat is still going strong. <laughs> there's that there's that that same sort of lexicon though did leave me like feeling a bit thick later in later raids where somebody's going mm. right, you run to there, you cover them, we'll run down here. But when the thing is hide in the shadows mm. and then we'll run up here and I'm all kind of like Hulk and like me, I'm do shoot things mm. here because that was the King's Fall raid and that was the one that we we tried to work out ourselves. Yeah, was... and that's the one that we spent what two months bouncing off of before we kind of mm. gave up. Um, I also remember it has getting... a wonderful jumping section. Mm. It they has a fantastic do, jumping section. Um, I remember the war priest being the bit we got stuck on for a long, long time. Uh, working out, there's these big three pillars that come up, and you've got to stand on the buttons in the right order. I would say it took us three weeks to work out how to work out what the order you had to stand on the buttons was. Because we think, well, if you shoot the big knight on the left first, then you have to stand on the left button first. And if you shoot the big knight on the right first, then you have to do that. But then on the second round, it reverses. Like we were coming up with all these kind of cobbled together theories based on things we were seeing and things we were putting together when someone just kind of handily noted like just stand on the other side of the pillars next time and they glow it's like oh stand it's on the one like that's being glowing the last person to try and get across jumping on a number of spaceships to oh, get good God. to the other side of something i was like oh you nearly oh oh come on it's it's gonna be fine i will say as well though that that while there's you know the uh, the big raids and there's the community aspect i probably not dissimilarly to 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 leah i work shifts and um i listened to lots of podcasts and, mm -hmm. and played solo and did lots of bounties and and mm. kind of enjoyed falling into things that way um i i heard uh of folks that hadn't spoken for years who would suddenly just buddy up and do bounties and catch up on their lives. I, I know that I keep bringing up the MMO aspect, but I played a lot of World of Warcraft. And this, in many ways, had the same feel to me because at a certain point, it becomes things that you are going through that are almost automatic because you have done them so many times before. So you can be doing those other things at the same time. You can be catching up with friends. You can be listening to a podcast. You can be... You know, it, it's, it's just kind of something to keep you occupied. My 
mother when she is watching TV will also knit or crochet or something. And this is this is kind of like that. You know, it's something that you don't have to think about too hard, but something that yeah. you still at the same time want to be doing. It's not, you know, it, it's not something that you're trying to force yourself through. It's just something that doesn't require 100% of your attention. So you can kind of be doing something else at the same time that you are doing that. And uh, I think that that's kind of a rare thing in console games particularly. So we've, we've touched on uh, the expansions of Destiny, uh, but they have made such a humongous impact on the base gameplay as well as uh, what someone coming in fresh would see uh, that I want to spend a little bit of time on those. Uh, so let's start with this post by uh, Psychohype on the forum who says, I played through the relatively brief main story missions and enjoyed my time well enough. However, I also felt like I always felt like I was missing a crucial aspect of the Destiny experience by not having any actual friends to team up with. It was also a game that frankly made me feel a little bit stupid because I never understood any of the game's underlying crafting, leveling, and economy systems. Sure, the game had a pretty sophisticated looking UI scheme, but where did they really explain how all of the meta systems worked? Did I miss something? Would all of that make more sense to someone, unlike me, who is well-versed in the ways of MMOs? What really ended up annoying me about Destiny was when the Taken King was released and it essentially punished all of the players who didn't upgrade. I could no longer go into the Crucible and select whatever game type I wanted to play. Eventually, shortly after I purchased an Xbox One, I purchased an on-sale copy of The Taken King, which included all of the DLC up to that point. I'd hoped that maybe this time I could find a community of players that would help me get more into the game, and perhaps I would get to experience some of the raids and other endgame content. For a variety of reasons, that never really happened. So this is probably a very representative portion of people who purchased the base version of Destiny and then were left out when the subsequent expansions made some really, really sweeping changes. Uh, now, we spoke about what the actual expansions were, um, but what we haven't really talked about is how much they ended up changing. So did you guys uh, jump on the expansions as soon as they were released, or was it kind of a later thing? Were there any things that spurred you towards actually picking those up? Uh, I was I was day one with the, um, with the DLC because it came in with the... The, the the pack that I got, uh, um, yes. I I enjoyed them. I enjoyed them uh, probably a bit more than the most. And at this point, Paddy was kind of done with the game, so I got him the mm. DLC for his is it birthday Christmas type thing. Something like um, that. Yeah, but but I had fun. And um, but I think my my main memory of the the DLCs was how much uh, fun I had with Prison of Elders. I I really really enjoyed Prison of Elders. Mm-hmm. Uh, Psycho Hype mentions the point that people were being locked out mm-hmm. uh, once the DLC had come, and that, that was an unfortunate nature. And you can't yeah. help but feel that if this was a PC game only, it would have gone by via monthly subscription um, and mm. probably not charged for the DLCs. However, the, the, in, in sort of locking people out of the base game is where one of my major issues comes from, and, and I'll discuss that later, certainly in my wrap-up. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I was playing, it was, it, it was great, you know, the, the DLC was ready day one, it was good to go, especially the first one that came out dark below, it added uh, a new raid in Crota's End, and that was super exciting to be able to play that. And then House of Wolves came, and there was massive disappointment that there was no raid, because by this point this was really the thing that was keeping me into Destiny, but we did have Mm. the Prison of Elders, which became Horde mode in a series of waves of 
difficulty that would increase that had drops based on the difficulty that you would enter it in. It sounds more complicated than it was, but it was definitely a lot of fun. We had Trials of Osiris, which was a throwback to Osiris, the character that we knew was going to be in the game originally that, like, Crow was cut. Um, so it was kind of cool to see Osiris brought in. Um but it was in PvP, which never really interested me, and I hated the fact that we were restricted to one map per week um, in the bid of trying to make the lighthouse. But it brought in the Fallen, and that, that was kind of cool. Um, we got the Vestian Outpost, the second social environment, which was, was okay, and it brought in a whole new bunch of Queen's Bounties, which opened up yet another faction that I could spend four hours essentially doing nothing that was going to benefit me, but <laughs> it would fill a bar, and that's a, a huge part of the Destiny experience. And and I, and I was happy playing this, and of course they changed the way that things would level up. The, we we'd gone from the light level thirty as a max, well level twenty plus light level thirty to light level thirty four. Unfortunately, when the DLC was released, and this was the absolute killer, was that people that were picking it up were essentially getting fast tracked to, I mm-hmm. believe, light level twenty six, so that they could do the vault of glass. Um, so. The element that I'd spent 30, 40 hours doing, someone was getting up there for free and being gifted stuff, which I thought massively hurt the game, which is a, a, a counter to people being locked out. That is, if they purchased it, they got thrown right in, which which is sort of like a, a, a two-tier back of the hand to the face of, of the players that had really sort of invested to this point, mm. and, and that kind of hurt. And then the, with House of Wolves, we had an additional... Um, level put on. I believe Vault Space was increased for that, at least for PS4 and Xbox One owners mm. because the last generation, apparently it was too difficult. And, you know, the, the vaults, because by this point we had so many new weapons and exotic weapons that we simply couldn't keep enough on our characters and in the vaults. And we were having to scrap new weapons, poorly thought out, incredibly frustrating. And that's where it started to get me. And then we got the Taken King a year down the line. And that was cool because it got a lot of hype. It looked like they were finally making changes that people wanted to see, except for the fact that by this point, it was a £40 release. Uh, I believe it was £25 if you just wanted to buy the DLC. I can't quite remember what the pricing was um, because I think it was... If you wanted it digital only, uh, you could get it as an add-on. It resulted in me essentially buying a game that I'd already put £150 into on the PS4. This is at the point where I looked at it and I thought, they've already essentially reset my progress once. They've nullified my weapons by not bringing the likes of Fatebringer up to par, uh, basically waving off the Year 2 weapons, uh, the Year 1 weapons, nullified my Galahorn that I'd finally got my hands on, uh, made me rebuy all the stuff I'd already bought at full price just to be a part of this system, and again nullified progress by gifting everyone who picked Taken King up, allowing them to be fast-tracked again. To play Devil's Advocate, though, how many hours did you spend playing that game for that amount of uh, admittedly somewhat crazy money um i mean if you think about it this is see see i'm i'm bringing this up because this is how i justify how much i spent to myself uh how many i mean how many hours did you get out of that yeah how many hours with friends or how many hours uh even just grinding or raiding or doing whatever you did how many hours (laughs) of entertainment did you get out of that for that that amount of money it it was this is where value for money becomes a, an important yeah. point, but it's not the important point here, like many no, other I'm games, not because, that of, the be way, the only because one of the way that things balanced out in Destiny. Now, mm-hmm. um, 
if I had paid a total of £250 across two different systems and got the hours mm-hmm. of content out of it I had, do you know what? Absolutely fine. My issue comes from, and it is exactly what Psycho Hype mentioned, was that if I didn't buy it, I got locked out. So yeah. not only did I essentially lose everything that I'd accomplished, you know, in, in gaming terms, that the hundreds of hours that I'd invested, fruitless, couldn't do anything more with it because it's an ever-evolving world, which is why it should have been a monthly subscription fee because then everyone keeps on the same level playing mm. field. Um, all the effort and time that I put into grinding and grinding and grinding to get these weapons gone because people are being given a free pass when they pick it up. People are buying a game here for 40 quid and getting everything that I've got plus the next DLC plus fast track to where I was is like that's a hard pill to swallow mm. in the in you know when someone's paying a fraction of the price and getting everything given to them as well. That that in my opinion is despicable. And the game had become a case that I loved bringing people through on raids and helping other people, and I could no longer do that. So mm. I'd given my time to helping others. That was lost as well. And if I simply didn't buy everything that I'd bought again, I couldn't do anything. So they were basically saying, look, buy our game again or tough. But to and- give a little a little counterpoint to the um, to people coming in late and, and levelling up, I, I know someone that played the initial game it wasn't really what they were looking for but the Taken King sounded like it would have been so I actually started playing again enjoyed it got to um got to the stage where they were on a level with their friends that they could then join in with new raids and stuff like that and you know it it was a a level of inclusivity for for people to to jump in and and get the aspect that that we built up for um over a longer period of time but now with kind of a really cool story and and with more of this more of the potential the tweaks Mm. that had been made were implemented from level zero for anyone coming back into it at that point anyway they did not need to be fast-tracked the whole idea of that was a good one because if you you want to jump on the taken king with all your friends like Mm. cool i've I've got the taken king you know we can all play together now in 40 hours but you could do stuff you could do stuff with them they just can't do the later end game so everything that they're doing Mm. you could still do with them at a higher level you know this isn't alien this is exactly how um world of warcraft's done it it's exactly how basically any game can have someone diablo as a prime example um you know, it's something that we actually talk about on issue uh, 265 where we covered Diablo 3, uh, was going in with a low-level player and, and levelling up. We actually did it with Nicholas Suter, a regular listen, myself and Darren, that is. Mm. Um, and it was a great experience explaining the stuff to our friend and also sort of fast-tracking him through whilst he also gets to learn the fundamentals rather than popping a sweetie and then being expected to hold his own when they don't understand the, you know, the core <laughs> finances. And when it came to the Taken King, looking at it from the outside in, the new additions, a new subclass that we knew was coming because there was an empty block. So finally, if you could get your soul, your arc or your void, if whichever one your class was missing got that skill set, we knew that was eventually going to come. I can't believe it took that long. We got the raid that... that we wanted with the uh, second DLC that we were originally told, let us not forget, is coming. We just didn't have to expect to have to buy the game all over again to get it. Um, they introduced a new major enemy, a whole new area of the Dreadnought. I say it's a whole new area. It was cut content. Um, but then the cosmetic stuff was really cool. But the thing that really, really left the bitterest taste in my mouth was that Luke Smith interview with Eurogamer. And Ugh. I was absolutely repelled by his attitude. I and it's kind of odd in the world of, of, of games because normally I can let a lot of things go, but the sheer arrogance and condescension 
ascension that he showed mm. in that interview of just buy the game all over again. Buy the, you know, oh, we're doing emotes, but only if you buy the limited edition, which is even more expensive. So now you're talking 80 quid. But if you want those emotes, you can only get that if you spend 80 quid. Now I'm looking at this thing and I've spent 250 quid. I'm not spending another 80 quid per format. Like, gift me these. I've invested my time, my money, my effort. I have put all that money in. Why aren't I getting these emotes? Like, I understand incentives and all, but not so far down the line. And then they're talking mm. about microtransactions, and he utters that horrible, contemptuous line of, if I fired up a video right now and showed you the emotes, you would throw money at the screen. And they introduced microtransactions, which they originally said would never be in that game. Uh, I understand that they were going to remove further DLC, so they wanted to go to an annual DLC method, and that by adding microtransactions, it would cover the gap of not having the double DLCs as we've seen with Crota's End and House of Wolves, which... Is a, a fair business strategy. I'm not a business person. That was their decision. I personally didn't have an opinion. I, like I wasn't negatively against microtransactions, as many were. In fact, I actually bought a couple of the dance moves because who didn't want the thriller dance on Halloween? <laughs> um, that was four quid, I think. So let's add that to the tally. Yeah. So while, while you know, while that interview was arrogant and horrible and awful taste in the mouth the, the worst part about that is is that i did see a video and i saw the emotes and then i did throw money at the screen so maybe <laughs> like maybe we're all part of the problem hmm. because if they give you a super dance of course i'm gonna buy that because that's dumb and that's really fun to we're me. all angry because they know exactly how to get money out of us and it's yeah. actually effective yeah, yeah. you want this well, and we know you want this right and it's like oh Tom Phillips yeah. came out and did say that the 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 tone of the interview was actually a lot more playful than <laughs> than and and you know uh, within kind of a mischievous sort of dark humor than the written version mm. came across as being and you know i i i, I must admit I, I like luke smith I, I like his sense of humor i like his he comes across very very well you gotta remember the biggest fear for every fan of bungie and the halo franchise was that they were getting into bed with activision and activision were the enemy to everyone at the time that that deal was announced because people were fed up with the way that Call of Duty had gone and that Activision had clearly shown themselves to be money men. And hey, guess what? I'm not naive to the fact that every publisher are money men, but Activision definitely had a bad thing with the way that they treated previous companies. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully they can't take the sheen off Bungie and they won't change Bungie. And all we'd seen was that, guess what? Bungie were changing and this was an influence. And the obvious source of that would be Activision. And as a result, I think that's why that Luke Smith uh, interview was so, it came across as so poisonous. Mm. And I had the attitude of, well, do you know what? I'm going to wash my hands of this game. I don't need it. I've got got countless other great classic games sat unplayed. Um, And if my friend hadn't bought me it, I simply wouldn't have picked it up. And this was with peer pressure of people that I was playing these raids with saying, look, get it, get it. It's really good. And you know what? The Taken King was really good. It made a lot of changes that should have been in there from Destiny. And they made wholesale changes to so many things from the way that you level your weapons, your armor, the way that missions were delivered, the way that information was delivered to the player. Uh, The interface had changed. The, The Taken King did make some amazing changes to the point that I think Destiny would have felt like a far more complete project had it launched with the stuff that was in the Taken King and it added that campy humour that we mentioned earlier back in that added a lot more humour, a lot more levity to, to play in it. And I think that was 
massively beneficial. But my attitude prior to the Taken King and not buying it followed me through to the Rise of Iron. I did not get bought Rise of Iron and I was not buying another DLC. Mm. Eventually, you've got to wash your hands of something and say enough's enough. And I felt like I'd got away with the first two because I already had the season pass. Having, even with the season pass content that I'd already bought and losing my progress, losing the efficiency of my weapons and stuff changing. No. No, that, that, that was really bad. And if I hadn't already had the season pass, I'd have probably ended earlier than I did, despite the fact that there were elements of that game that I liked. But that was my biggest issue with the way that the DLC was handled. A lot of both positive and negative things uh, that, that we're hearing here uh, regarding particularly the, uh, the expansions. But um, let's move on a little bit and hear uh, some listener feedback uh, you can email us at podcast at canemrince.com as uh, Jay did uh, Jay is at Fireborn Radio on Twitter and he says no game has touched me and influenced me as much as Destiny has. Through Destiny, I started listening to video game podcasts such as Guardian Radio and Destiny Reset, all of which ushered me into expanding my collection and in turn introduced me to Kane and Rinse. Thank you. Which now makes my long morning commute a lot easier. In turn, I myself have turned to podcasting and along with some of my fire team, I have created two Destiny-related podcasts. First was Return to Orbit podcast and when that went on hiatus, me and my fire team created Fireborn Radio. Through that, we have met some incredible people and friends for life with whom I speak to more more online than people I know in real life. We've taken part in charity streams for children's hospitals and raised over 2,500 pounds for such good causes, all because of this game. I know without a doubt that this game will divide opinion. It doesn't have the best story ever, it was lacking in content, and the developer's decisions sometimes left a lot to be desired. However, the community that this game has produced is second to none. By creating a podcast based on Destiny and meeting some incredible people and donating money for good causes makes all the shortcomings disappear. So a lot of this can be included in uh, speaking about the final Destiny expansion, which was Rise of Iron uh, and uh, a wonderful expansion uh, that unfortunately I did not personally spend as much time on as I would like to. Uh, I did play through it, but um, it almost is an afterthought as by that point, I my schedule personally as well as my guildmates had changed uh, just so that we couldn't quite play as we used to. Uh, however, there is a lot of great content in here. Um, so uh, let's, let's talk about that a little bit before we get to uh, some more listener feedback. Uh, anybody have anything to say about Rise of Iron? Yeah, um, Rise of Iron for me, uh, I actually think in in terms of the story, it's probably the best job they've done mm. in terms of a, a story that starts and you can follow it to the finish and you're done. And it gave you a really good character in Lord Saladin with an interesting backstory uh, and the way they tell you the story she goes through was brilliant. You know, it, it sort of revitalized what was, you know, again, when you get to the end of Destiny's story, it becomes just lots of techno babble about darkness and travelers and uh, who cares? Whereas this gave you a set of characters that you learn about and you, you pick up artifacts from these characters and you eventually, unfortunately, meet them uh, <laughs> all poisoned up and, and a part of the enemy. But you, you have to take down these characters that you've heard about in the past, you know, and it's got a real sense of, of a real moment at the end where it's like this is a proper grand ending. This is what should end a story. This is what should end a DLC. Like this should be the final story where you you take down the bad guys and you run like hell and you run and you go and you go and everything's exploding behind you and you get out in the nick of time and you stop and you breathe out and you go that was brilliant mm. that was absolutely brilliant. Um, on top of that, things like the the new social space, Felwinter Peak, was great because when you work out you can climb it. <laughs> when you see someone at the top, you're thinking, how did you get there? 
Why? Hang on. There's a right. Come here, everyone. We need to work this out. And running up it with with the whole squad, just trying to work out where to jump to and where the checkpoints were. So if you, if you fell off the wrong point, you, you'd end up starting at the bottom again after 20 minutes of climbing. Uh, nothing at the top outside of just a, I think there was a ghost and a view, which was fine. That's enough for me. Um, I really enjoyed the new social, uh, the new um, open area, the new patrol area, uh, the plagued up version of the um, the Earth area. I really enjoyed running around that. I just, I just felt like it was a real nice booster shot for the game after I'd kind of drifted away again after Taken King because I played a good lot of Taken King. You know, it was mm-hmm. again. Taken King woke the game up again for me. Uh, and after about six months away, Rise of Iron just kind of got me back. And while I didn't play it as much as the other DLC packs, for sure, like I, I kind of did my time with it and got almost doing the raid and never quite managed it. But I did a lot of that content and really, really enjoyed my time with it. I Again, I think it's the, probably the, the most complete story they've told, if not the most uh, world-changing update, I think. Let's get into some of the uh, community comments. Uh, you too can comment at uh, canandrinse.com slash forum. I will say that uh, in going through the community comments for this particular show, I, I did need to cut a fair amount. So there is a lot that you can see if you uh, go on over to the forums and uh, and and take a look. Um, some people had some incredibly great things to say about the game and, uh, and its effects on them. So I've tried to kind of keep the spirit and uh and we're going to hear from a few people so uh this is from haze red mist who says destiny was an incredible whirlwind for me and was both the best and worst of gaming rolled into one package intensely addictive and racked with behavioral psychology mechanics see danny o'dwyer's excellent video for deeper perspective on this destiny is easily the most fun shooter i've played mechanically and cooperatively the Halo-esque gunplay is the real strength of the game, and the raids are just majestic experiences, particularly the first time you do them. The problem with the game is the repetition it forces you to partake in as you chase the dragon repeatedly for resources and guns with RNG mechanics, meaning you could target something and possibly never get it. Such as my attempts to get Fatebringer, the Vex Mythoclast, and Gallarhorn. When I finally got these guns, it was truly joyous, but the endless frustration of seeing them popping up for others in my raid team, particularly when they'd had the guns six times already, or it was their first raid, was grating. Eventually, I tapped out of Destiny due to time constraints and huge fatigue with the content. I tried going back, but my last DLC pack was the Taken King. I didn't buy Rise of Iron, which had come out in the interim, and felt very disappointed when lots of the content I used to play, which was now locked behind modes I couldn't access. I paid a lot for my game and DLC packs, and had plowed over 800 hours into the game. It felt dirty that I was treated as an outsider just because I hadn't bought the latest DLC. Coming off of Destiny was like coming off of a drug. Withdrawal symptoms and a longing to experience the highs, killing Crota, Atheon, etc. And wondering what Xur had put out that week, but once that was over, it was surprisingly easy to stay away for good. It's not a game I would want to go back to, and as a father now, I simply can't spend multiple hours a week gathering resources and repeating strikes slash raids to chase the latest exotic. But damn, it was an incredible ride at its peak. I'll always have fond memories, and it's in my top five of all time, despite its less attractive aspects. Steve Norman says, I spent 120 hours in Destiny and probably would have tripled that had I not moved to the middle of nowhere with no internet connection to speak of. Like some correspondents, not playing did feel like coming off of a drug. But unlike others, I found the most pleasure in just mooching around doing stuff with no specific agenda. That said, I participated in all the game modes with relish, enjoying cooperative play with people I came across and multiplayer far more than I normally would, in no small part to how good everything felt. One real other pleasure, though, for a short time at least, was spotting some 
someone else on my limited friends list in the game and jumping in with them for a while. When that rarely, if ever, happens for you, it's a really special feeling, and I thank Destiny for that. Ari G says, Destiny is something to keep my hands busy whilst my mind and mouth wander elsewhere. This is my experience of Destiny. The game, in my experience, is uninteresting. Yes, mechanically, it has a lot going for it, but the story, PvE, PvP, level design, with the exception of some instanced content, aesthetic design, and sadly, the core gameplay loop failed to keep me engaged for long. And yet I have completed the main campaign as well as much of the DLC, and I'm considering getting the sequel. Why? The reason for this is that Destiny worked well as a commonly accepted activity for catching up with friends, younger family members, old guildmates from MMOs long since dead. Destiny has become to me what MSN Messenger was in the late 90s, early 2000s, albeit with more mechanics. Pale Avenger says, I waited until Destiny was on sale, picked it up for a bit of mindless sci-fi shooting, and got exactly what I wanted. Others have said it better than I can, but Destiny truly excels in the moment-to-moment gameplay. The movement is fluid, with just the right balance of responsive and weighty, weapons feel punchy and awesome, and the powers add just enough variety to the action to keep things moving. There aren't many gameplay experiences more satisfying than exploding a swarm of enemies with successive shots to their weak points than watching the whole group burst into loot. The rest of the game was lacking, at least the time I was playing. There weren't many places to go and the content got repetitive. The lore was hidden away outside the game where I couldn't be bothered to search it out, and I'm someone who spent hours reading the codices in games like Mass Effect and Dragon Age. Most of all, the game's focus on multiplayer left people with very short friends lists like myself out in the cold. When I did play multiplayer missions, the few available through the lobby, I spent most of my time trying to keep up with other players who would forge ahead as quickly as possible, killing everything in the room before I could even get through the door. So while I didn't feel any desire to shell out extra cash for the expansions, and therefore didn't stick with it very long, I don't regret a minute of the time I spent shooting aliens across colorful landscapes in destiny that is a real big bugbear of mine actually uh when you go into a strike with randoms and they just run off Mm -hmm. and then you get there and everything's done yep or or the other one that uh that we got a lot was uh you go into a uh a strike or or what have you and they'll just sit there and just wait for you to go and complete everything That, that happened. Oh, I'll intentionally leave if that's mm-hmm. the case. I'll, I'll, I would have just yeah. left. I, I always did it. Like, no, yeah. not giving you a free mm-hmm. win. Final uh, piece that I'd like to read is from uh, Loki, who says... Halo Reach is one of my favorite games of all time, certainly my favorite in the series. To say my expectations of Bungie's next offering were high would be an understatement, but as development and marketing progressed, I got less and less interested in the game. It looked sort of bland to me. Come launch, I just let it slip aside and didn't think more of it. It wasn't until spring the following year, when me and my old Reach comrade-in-arms were talking about old memories, that my interest for the game started resurfacing. We wanted some new FPS to play through to, to play together, and we thought, why not try Destiny? If we get 60 hours out of it, that's fine. And here I am, 1,200 hours later. Ooh. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> Once I actually started playing the game, I'd fallen in love within minutes. The gunplay is just unparalleled, and movement is fast, fun, and rewarding. The fact that the story, or lack thereof, had a lot of people upset didn't even factor into my equation. I very much enjoyed the lore and world building that Destiny did, and was enough to keep me interested. In the long haul, though, what kept me around was all the people I met through the myriad of different challenges the game offered. If you were just playing this game all by your lonesome, I can understand you getting bored at some point, but I enjoy making new acquaintances and have so many stories to tell about my adventures in this game now it really did scratch an itch that hasn't been scratched good since world of warcraft back in its heyday 
Thank you, everybody who, who uh, contributed. And uh, again, please, if you are interested in reading a bit more or contributing, you can still go to canermins.com slash forum and, uh, and read uh, even more about this game. Uh, for now, let's go to some three-word reviews, which can be submitted through the forum or also through at canermins on Twitter. So three-word reviews. Let's start with CJ. Uh, Ashman66 says, equip, decrypt, repeat. Bloody initiate says... Just a chore. Loki says, loved every second. Steve Deneen says, the daily grind. The Turch says, really bad alone. To counter that, Zoe Howard says, better with a clan. <laughs> JMH1373 says, good after expansions. Colin Alcar says, who needs story? Giles Thomas, needed raid matchmaking. David Merritt says, disappointing after Halo. So uh, let's talk a little bit about our final thoughts. Uh, so uh, Destiny, man, that's that's a lot to summarize, uh, but I'm going to put the onus on starting with Carl. Destiny is a strange one in that a lot of the things that I loved about playing it was sharing that experience with so many other people, um, whether it was my regular players of Paul and Mark where we just go around and patrol or do strikes or um, opening up and chirping on the rage with other people and I think that that's an experience that I personally haven't experienced to that degree in, in other games as a franchise again I may well pick up Destiny 2 but it has to be better handled from a design perspective uh, and, and its implementation of new features than the first game did because I felt like they lost control of that very early on. And I think the, a lot of the community feedback, uh, myself included, lost a lot of respect for being locked out. And I understand an ever-evolving online world and that these kinds of things happen, but to essentially erase you from their ranks because you're not willing to buy something all over again is not the way to release a product. They needed to come up with a different alternative. And there's a lot to love. It's a game that plays incredibly well. It looks stunning. Unfortunately, I think it lost a lot of the creativity, a lot of the fun of the Bungie Halo games. Playing with friends is what really leaves me in the positive camp for this because I have memories um, and such good laughs of playing with the, with the people that I hold dear and playing with online. And I think that will always override anything. I can play a bad game with friends and enjoy it. And the fact that Destiny is not a bad game. In fact, it does some things incredibly well. And being able to play that with friends is why I, I overall have such a positive love for my time with the game, but my time with that game definitely came to an end early as a result of some of those decisions. Yeah, I, I personally, I agree largely with what you said about um, this being a game to play with friends and having that be one of the major things that really shaped your opinion and, and my opinion for sure of the game. Um, as I mentioned before, uh, I think that I, I would have played the game regardless. I would have played through the story mode, but that probably would have been it that um, eight or 10 hours, I, I have no idea how long the uh, the actual campaign actually is, but that that would have kind of been the end of it for me. I definitely wouldn't have come back for the uh, the expansions, nor for any of the um, the strikes or the or the raids or anything. But having a specific partner that I played through with a lot of that, there are so many other games that we could have been playing at that point. Uh, and a lot of games that we did play before that, before we got into to Destiny. Um, and I would say later, but Destiny really kind of just was it 
for a very long time. Um, but I, there, there were so many other things that we could play, but we, we settled on this, uh, and it, it, it turned into a thing that was just kind of what we were doing for a while. And uh, it, it, it was never even really a question. It was just, we enjoyed doing that so much that that just kind of became our thing. And, uh, and I value that. Uh, I value that a great deal. And uh, I, will, I will look favorably upon Destiny for that for, uh, for a, great, uh, a great time, I think. Uh, and if Destiny 2 offers any kind of similar experience uh, Experience, then I think that I'm I'm gonna like it a lot. Uh, it it would have a lot to live up to, even with all the flaws of the original Destiny. Uh, I I have I'm always going to have a very fond spot uh, for that. I don't know if I would recommend people start playing Destiny now, particularly since Destiny Two is coming out. Uh, but I do not regret any of the time that I spent with it. So uh, take that, I suppose, as you will. Uh, so. CJ. Uh, I had a fantastic time with Destiny. Whilst there were undoubtedly sort of inconsistencies and I would have liked more content and support, I don't want to hide away from the sheer amount of fun I had with it. Uh, Vault of Glass with friends, monkeying about on my own, doing bounties and listening to podcasts, or even, you know, dissolving a rough day at work with fun catch-up chats um, with people that I love. The Joe Staten fan in me remains deeply curious about the game it was originally, um, but it's been a pleasure to see the game evolve in the aftermath. Uh, given the Taken King uh, took things up a notch and Luke Smith's hel- helming the sequel, I should be more excited for Destiny 2 than I am, but after a, a so-so beta, my instincts have kind of been reset a bit. Maybe that's a good thing, so it leaves me open to be surprised, I guess. As a slight sort of similarity and counterpoint to the evolution of destiny i have become very very smitten with warframe recently Mm. a game which has evolved extraordinarily in a similar time frame so i'm curious to see what destiny does what it is in comparison Mm -hmm. um but as for the that original game uh it absolutely entertained and i can't really ask for more than that and patty uh well for me you know destiny was quite a formative game for me it did a lot of things i'd never really interacted with uh all at once um to start from the top it was a very formative first person shooter i i don't generally play them unless they're a bit weird you know like mirror's edge or fallout or something like i don't play traditional shooters that much and something about the the mechanics of play you know the, the just the sheer gameplay of it was fun it's fun to run and jump and shoot things with a magic gun uh, and to sort of fly through the air and, and pull out a, a blade made of lightning and stab a bunch of dudes and then throw a grenade and then dash behind a building like it the core loop of it was fun absolutely brilliant fun and as the game went on Bungie got better at telling their stories better at making their characters better at giving us stuff to do uh, strikes and the prison of elders and the patrol missions and the raids and all these little things the sparrow racing which we've not really talked about which oh my god I lost two weeks of my life to that oh really um, ah. I loved sparrow <laughs> racing and I got so many exotics from sparrow racing I was so happy with myself um, I had two glorious weeks with that and it just the amount of stuff they gave you you was something I didn't expect out of a out of a shooting game. I just thought I'd shoot the man, and that was it. <laughs> um, 
So that was one. I mean, it's a form of MMO for me. I'd never really played any kind of MMO game before. I managed to avoid Warcraft because I saw what it did to people. <laughs> so I, I, I saw some people nearly ruin their university degrees because of Warcraft. And I thought, you know what? I'm good. I don't need this. Um, the idea of you know, playing a game where you just sort of do the same sort of quest over and over and over again and you, you kind of level up slower. I, it was new to me. You know, I, I played RPGs, of course, but this kind of slow burn with lots of other people doing the same thing was was new as well. On top of that, it was quite a formative multiplayer game. I didn't really do a lot of co-op uh, outside of the odd bit of Dark Souls. Everybody drink. Uh, mainly with CJ, but we played together for the most, well, for pretty much the whole story mode, didn't we? Mm. Um Playing it on hard was your preference, which was interesting with my lack of skill. Um, but we had some real moments. You know, there's a, a level early on where you're trying to raise up a big satellite dish and we both stood inside this big sort of warehouse door and they're coming in from both sides and we're kind of nipping in and out and saving each other. And that it was, was, that was great. such a good moment. Um, as well as that, you know, gelling with our raid team, the Scorpions, you know, we sort of, like I said before, we, we went into that raid as, as friends and we, we came out as a team, you know, and it's it's been so much fun, you know, growing with people. You know, Destiny's really helped socialising with people online. And I, I never did the thing where you jump online at night and see who's about and see what everyone's playing and do that. I never did that. I'd, I'd get on and play by myself every night. Uh, and, you know, for a good six months, I'd, I'd hop on and like, oh, well, so-and-so's online. Oh, do you want to run the run a strike or something? Brilliant. Great. Um, even just messing around in the tower, wandering about with CJ, going crota at each other for like five <laughs> minutes. Um, finding silly names like Battle Milk or my one of my favorites, which was uh, not again Mozart. Um, and if you'd like to put in your favorite now, CJ. No, I'm, I'm trying to think. Um, there was there was OMG a kebab. Yep. That was a great name. <laughs> but um, the the one that I'm trying to think the, the the line that I kept saying from it was something like uh, fingers touching at the digit of a mind. <laughs> I can't remember what the words were, but I used to yeah. I that, that I used mm. to say that far too often. Also singing songs like Twin Princes, Princes Who Adore You when we were running running around with <laughs> yeah. that lot. Or um, with a little mote of light, yeah. And just, <laughs> I have I have a horrible ability to turn any moment into a, a song. I would argue so that ten percent to people that I've been online yeah, with. <laughs> uh, ten percent of our time on that game was probably mucking around in the tower. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it, it was glorious. Right. Um, yeah, but for me, you know, I you know, if you strip away the story stuff, which was kind of all right, I guess, but it, it was there and it got better as it went. And if we take away the loot grind and the repetitive nature of the missions, Destiny is still just a hell of a lot of fun just to play. And it's just fun mm. to spend time with people, just having fun shooting the man in space. It's just fun, you know. We're flying the jetpack. I've, I've Fly the jetpack. And I've, I've got a line here, and I'm quite proud of this fun. Uh, for me, the appeal, it was never about the traveller, it was the travelling. And with that, uh, it just remains for me, Leah, to thank Carl, CJ, and Patty. And uh, gentlemen, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, it's best if you jump onto Twitter and find us at Twin Humanities, where uh, you can find the shows that we do. We do Twin Humanities, where we talk about Dark Souls games. We've got Other Humanities, where we can talk about anything from uh, Japanese special effects TV shows to books to anime to coffee to cakes to things that we've done. Uh, we also had a podcast called Twin Destiny. We did. Which we did about six of and had the glittering Jay Taylor on there for one of those episodes. 
uh, editor extraordinaire. Um, so yeah, we do stuff on there. You can find me at, at Coffee Jesus. That's with uh, a Z in the middle of Jesus. And he is Patrick Stardust, but he's under the moniker of Pat, at Paddy Stardust. Thanks you? for making me sound odd. <laughs> you, you, you wonderful spider monkey of glory. Style. Thanks. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you as well to all of the correspondents, our editor Jay, who is wonderful. And of course, everybody who is listening. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, if you have enjoyed this and our other shows, please consider heading to our Patreon page and donating to our efforts. Uh, if enough of you do this, we will double the amount of Kane and shows in the future. That is 100 episodes a year. That is so many podcasts but only if you donate so if you are interested head over and do that thing uh next time in issue 285 we'll be covering double dragon neon double dragon 2 wander of the dragons and double dragon 4 Some hope for the future Some wait for the call To say that the days ahead Will be the best of all We will build bridges Up to the sky Heavenly lights surrounding you and I Hope for the future, it's coming soon enough How much can we achieve? Hope for the future, it will belong to us If we believe, if we believe Hope shines Yeah.